Hi, I'm Josh Rollerson from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council. We are on summer vacation for another week, but today we do have a little bonus content to hold you over until then. First, a quick update on two major developments related to construction of Sunoco's $2.5 billion Mariner East 2 pipeline. A decision earlier this week by an administrative law judge with the Pennsylvania Public Utility Commission halted installation of a valve in the pipeline in West Goshen Township, Chester County. The township had sought an emergency order over safety concerns and also over the company's use of eminent domain in seizing private property for construction. That decision came down late Monday, and then on Tuesday, the state's Environmental Hearing Board ordered a temporary shutdown of all drilling associated with the pipeline project. That order affects 55 sites and comes about a week after several groups filed a petition citing dozens of drilling fluid spills leading to water contamination throughout the area. Both of these decisions are subject to further review by the PUC and by state courts, respectively, so this matter obviously is far from resolved. But these are both very important developments, which we will be watching closely in the weeks ahead. We just wanted to briefly note them here today. We also wanted to revisit another big court decision from earlier this summer. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court in June handed down a historic ruling on what's known as the Environmental Rights Amendment to the state constitution. That amendment has been on the books for decades, but really hasn't seen much action until very recently. Now, in the wake of June's court decision, the amendment's been invoked in a string of legal actions on everything from pipeline construction to the state budget. It has come before the State Environmental Hearing Board in a dispute over the use of wastewater to control road dust. Governor Wolf also cited the amendment when he announced his decision to veto a bill limiting municipalities' authority to regulate the use of plastic bags locally. All that is just in the last few weeks, and this is only the beginning. We did touch on all of this a few weeks ago, just after the ruling came down. But July has been a very busy month, and the segment kind of got buried under a lot of other stories we've been featuring. Now, in light of how significant this ruling is shaping up to be, we thought now would be a good time to take another look. So today we're reposting our June 30th conversation between PEC President David Woodwell and our Senior VP for Legal and Government Affairs, John Walliser. Enjoy. After probably a hiatus of a long time, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court is becoming, it seems, much more involved in environmental issues, especially through interpretation of Article 1, Section 27 of the Pennsylvania Constitution, which is known as the Environmental Rights Amendment, that was passed uh, by uh, two successive houses and senates, uh, general assemblies, and then a referendum by Pennsylvania voters in 1970-ish and came into being in 1971, that says the people have a right to clean air, pure water, and to the preservation of the natural, scenic, historic, and aesthetic values of the environment, period. Pennsylvania's public natural resources are the common property of all the people, including generations yet to come. As trustees of these resources, the Commonwealth shall conserve and maintain them for the benefit of all the people. Now, that's a piece of language in the Constitution that really, for most intents and purposes, lay dormant for actually decades and really got new life breathed into it around 2013 with some interpretations of, the, of Act 13 that was intended to put new rules in place for shale gas development. Uh, and the Supreme Court has now opined again on another case that we're going to talk with John about uh, that came down in the last week 
and by the way, there is no legal advice included in this. If you have questions uh, going forward, consult an attorney. So these are not legal opinions that are coming out of, out of this. So, Mr. Wallace or sir, what is this case? <laughs> so you're right. Uh, in 1971, by nearly a four to one margin, uh, Pennsylvania voters approved uh, what's known as the Environmental Rights Amendment. Uh, it's something that was passed unanimously by the General Assembly uh, in two successive years. Um, and like you said, it went dormant. Um, there were a few cases in the 70s that considered it, put some limitations on it, and then it was quickly forgotten. And then, as you said, in 2013, there was a Supreme Court decision, a plurality decision. So it wasn't a clear majority that sort of reinvigorated this and said, oh, yeah, there's this language that's in Article One of the Constitution, which is the Declaration of Rights up there with, you know, free speech, freedom of religion. And the court said this means something. We can't arbitrarily place limitations on it. It's in the Constitution. And that's how they started looking at uh, challenges that were brought before the court in 2013. It related to proposed environmental regulations, preemption of local land use controls with respect to unconventional oil and gas operations. Uh, And that has sort of filtered through a bunch of different Commonwealth lower court decisions. And it went back up to the Supreme Court. And last week they issued their opinion and they sort of reanimated it. And so 2013 is known as the Robinson Township decision. And that was around Robinson Township trying to say when, where, and how gas drilling could happen. There were a few things that the Supreme Court, on the premise of Article 1, Section 27, as well as substantive due process, struck down. They struck down preemption of local land use controls. They struck down some of the environmental protection provisions on unconventional gas operations because they felt they bound the Department of Environmental Protection's hands too tightly uh, in violation of the Constitution. And they sent a few things down on a few other issues that have slowly sort of filtered out uh, with respect to other aspects of that law, including disclosure. So in in Robinson was really the first time that the court, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, started talking about this public trust doctrine and being a trustee of the resources. Because before that, if I'm remembering this correctly, basically the way Article 1, Section 27 was dealt with was there was sort of a balancing test from Payne, a case called Payne versus Kassab, which I think was a highway case from the northeastern part of the state in the 70s. And that sort of said if the impacts of a decision clearly outweigh the benefits, then you shouldn't do it. But this, they flipped that around some here. Yeah, the express words of the court is that the pain test is, quote, unrelated to the text of Section 27 and the trust principles animating it, and it strips the constitutional provision of its meaning. Okay, so that's in the most recent case. That's in the case that came down last week. So what was that case about? So this was a challenge that was brought by the Pennsylvania Environmental Defense Foundation regarding diversion of revenues derived from leasing of oil and gas interests on state land, also challenging the ability of the state to actually lease those rights. But this particular decision only weighs in on the royalty aspect. And some of that comes into play because there's this thing called the oil and gas lease fund that the General Assembly created that says revenues from oil and gas leases on state lands should go into this fund to pay for restoration for purchase for whatever of sort of state forest, state park lands. Right. It was enacted, I believe, in the 50s. Okay. And the, and what happened was the General Assembly started to, and governors, started to move money out of that fund toward the general fund. 
and that's what brought this lawsuit. Right. They were taking those revenues, dedicating a portion back to the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources, primarily for operational activities as opposed to maintenance and improvement of the state parks, but also taking a significant portion of that revenue and using it for the general fund for general budgeting purposes. It seems like what's happening here is that there is life and heft being breathed into the amendment. And the reason I put the period in there when I first started reading it was there's that first sentence that talks about the rights to clean air, pure water, preservation of natural, natural, scenic, historic, and aesthetic values of the environment. We're still not sure exactly what that means. Yeah, there's a interesting line from the court um, that says, the explicit terms of the trust require the government to conserve and maintain the corpus of the trust. And I think getting more towards that first sentence, you know, the plain meaning of the, the terms conserve and maintain implicates a duty to prevent and remedy the degradation, diminution, or depletion of our public natural resources. So the pain test, as we were talking about earlier, was what was applied to that. That's now out the window, and we're sort of in the Wild West again with, okay, how do we interpret at least that first sentence? The, the court's decision really goes into depth on the latter part of the Environmental Rights Amendment, the trust aspect. Right. Now, given how quickly this all moves, which means I'm being facetious, it's slow. Right. The last opinion really that from the Supreme Court was 2013. So that now there's probably a few more rounds to figure out what this all means. Well, the only thing that was remanded back down to the lower courts from this decision was further determination. There's a couple of different types of revenue that come in from the leasing of the oil and gas uh, rights. There, there are royalties. There are rents, there are bonus payments. So the Supreme Court said at least most of this money that comes out of the leasing belongs to the public trust and therefore needs to be used for those types of activities. It doesn't necessarily strictly have to be limited to our state parks and state forests, but it has to be for protection of our public natural resources and the environment. But there's some questions as to how do you categorize things like bonus payments and rents, do those belong as part of the public trust or not. And that's what the lower courts are now going to have to figure out. So they're still, they've been given this charge by the Supreme Court to sort of, within the realm of the money question, figure out what it all means. Mm -hmm. But more broadly in Pennsylvania, we haven't really had a public trust doctrine, have we? No, I don't, uh, at least not with respect to the natural resources, no. This public trust doctrine, uh, it's an idea that's out there in a lot of states. It's not in Pennsylvania, but is there an easy way to explain it? Not really, but um, it basically is saying that this, the state has a fiduciary duty. They call it a, a duty of prudence, loyalty, and partiality to protect our public resources. So it means that, one, they have to enact laws that protect the environment and protect public resources, but also uh, they have a duty to make sure that those resources, at least for those that they manage, are maintained as well. All right. So that's another thing that will probably evolve over time is figuring out what it really means to be a trustee. Because the the court spent a lot of time in 2013 in Robinson sort of jumping around that, but it didn't seem like they resolved it. No, and what's interesting is, you know, there are obviously a number of things that are proceeding through both the courts and Pennsylvania's Environmental Hearing Board, which uh, is sort of the, the forum of first appeal for permitting decisions. And it seems like right now there is a delay on anything moving forward, giving people time to react to the Supreme Court decision, file things like supplemental briefs, and try to weigh out, okay, what does this mean and how are we going to apply it in this instance? So in a lot of ways, this is it doesn't settle all the questions. It, it asks a lot of questions and it begs a number more. Yes. All right. So going forward, I think this is something that I think in terms of 
how Pennsylvania thinks and looks at environmental protections, this is one to which we would say stay tuned, see what the next cases are that are brought. Uh, and there are folks out there, I think, already thinking about that. It will, likely won't be four decades, but we will have to wait a little yeah. bit. The Pennsylvania Environmental Defense Foundation case isn't the only environmental case they've dealt with lately. There are a couple of others, one for DCNR that includes sort of how you deal with properties long term and municipalities want to change in, change the use of them. But there's also another one relating to shale gas. Yeah, this is actually a pretty important decision. Um, so going back to that Robinson decision in 2013, when the Supreme Court invalidated a couple of different sections of that law, uh, there were some questions as to uh, whether other provisions could be enforced or implemented as a result of those invalidations. And one of them was a pretty important one. It was protection of public resources, uh, which, of course, touches upon the PEDF decision uh, with the public trust. But there was a challenge brought by an association challenging the Department of Environmental Protection's ability to enforce that section. And what it what it says is that if a proposed oil and gas operation is operating anywhere near what's called a public resource, uh, it's enumerated in the legislation itself as to what constitutes a public resource, things like scenic rivers, state parks, public drinking water supplies, that the department has the right to put additional limitations on a permit. That was challenged, uh, and the Supreme Court in its decision last week said, no, that part is actually fully enforceable. They talked about how that was actually part of the 1984 Oil and Gas Act, which Act 13 replaced. And so that's going to allow the department to move forward with respect to that particular provision, protection of public resources, with regulation and enforcement. And so we are still, I mean, in terms of timing, one thing for folks to understand is this is now seven years in, at least, to trying to get these regulations. And if you go back to sort of 2010, and then under Governor Corbett, the governor's Marcella Shale Advisory Commission you know, Act 13 going through challenges to it. So we are still, this is part of how government and regulation and oversight works. And it's a long, drawn-out process in some cases. It's a long, messy process. And in fact, there is another legal challenge brought by another association currently on Act 13 with respect to other provisions. There has not been a final determination by the court in that instance, though. So it continues to evolve. So it anybody to who, evolve. Yeah, so when you think that you see an act passed and signed by a governor or a president or whatever, it's there's still a lot of long, long time to really figure out what that means and how it's put in place. Yeah, for hopefully not as long as a constitutional provision. John, thank you very much for that. And uh, we will continue watching the Supreme Court, the General Assembly, and everybody else. So thank you all. Tech President David Woodwell speaking with John Walliser, who runs our policy shop. That's from our June 30th episode of Pennsylvania Legacies, number 45. Our whole back catalog, by the way, is available on the Peck website, which you will find at pecpa.org. Pennsylvania Legacies returns with an all-new episode in August. Until then, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Wallerson, and thanks for listening.